0: well what's up we are survivors of snowmageddon and if you're watching online today if you have power some of you might be watching on your phones however you're joining in um sweetwater tennessee you guys got rain but then chattanooga got snow so i I don't know what that means i have no no idea what that means but anyway We, in Anderson, we got ice and just want to help some people that are on social media going, hey, building a snowman. That's not a snowman. That's an ice man, like Top Gun, ice man. And that thing, just get your kids out of the ice, all right? Let them play in the snow, but get them out of the ice. If you are um, tuning in today to Second Chance for the first time, I just want to, I just, let me just say this, join in next week. And the reason why is today's message might not be that good. In fact, it's probably not going to be my best. Let me tell you why. Normally, I prepare really far in advance. Um, Like I'll prepare three, four, five weeks in advance. Sometimes I've gone as much as six months in advance. And I try to work through the message. I try to get things. I, I look for illustrations and stuff. But the message idea for today hit me last week during the message. So while I'm preaching the message last week, I had the idea... And then on Monday morning, I got up and tried to develop it. So today's message is going to be okay, but if you don't like it, listen, that's okay. Just join, but just give us another chance here at Second Chance and join back in with us next week. And um, today we're going to dive right in, talking about the fact that, that that there are people we love, we wish they would change, they're not changing, so what do we do about it? I want to set it up this way. I want to set it up this way. I want to ask you this question. What's the first presidential election that you remember? Not that you voted in. Not that you voted in. But that you remember happening. Ed, what's the first presidential election you remember happening? First one you remember. George H.W. Bush. George H.W. Bush and Bill Clinton? Uh, that Yeah. Uh, Eighty-eight. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was. I, I forgot who that was. was. That Mondale or somebody. No. I, yeah, he ran against somebody. Jim, what about you? What's the first one you remember? Uh, Jimmy Carter. When I was in the second grade. Jimmy Carter. What about you, Kyle? Uh, Twenty twelve. <laughs> Barack Obama. Oh God, I'm old. Okay. The first presidential election I remember was Jimmy Carter and Ronald Reagan in 1980. This is the very first one I remember taking place. Now, um, many of you remember this, others of you, you're gonna have to read the history books, but because this was 1980, and this is where I learned, this is where I learned that there are Democrats, Jimmy Carter was a Democrat, and there are Republicans. Reagan was a Republican. And I learned there are people kind of like in the middle, but then there are people on the far right, and then there are people on the far left. Now, here's the deal. Now, there's also um, uh, what, libertarians, but they're kind of like wizards at Hogwarts. You don't really know where they are or what they stand for. So, so you got Democrats, you got, you got people on the far right, and you got people on the far left. Now, here's the deal, and you can see this even in society today. I learned this in 1980. People on the far left hate people on the far right. And people on the far right hate people on the far left. And so they'll build arguments and they'll build cases and they'll attack each other and attack each other and attack each other. But if we're all honest, people on the far left push people on the far right further right. And people on the far right push people on the far left further left. They they don't change nobody has ever but said, you know what, I'm a Republican but I'm going to become a democrat because they shouted at me, screamed at me and shamed me so much that I'm just going to give in. Let's do another argument. Or let's 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 take another one. You got Clemson and you got Carolina. Now, if you're now I'm in South Carolina and this is a big rivalry, if, if you live in another state, pick your team, pick your rivalry or whatever. But there are people, now there are people in the middle that just kind of don't care, they just kind of pull for kind of both teams when they play, but then there are people on the Clemson side that, that are so far this way, they hate people on the Carolina side. There are people on the Carolina side that hate people on the Clemson side. Point in case, and I know some of you are watching, I had friends during Clemson South Carolina week block my number on their telephone yes they did so so I couldn't even call them you're cold and you know who you are anyway they Clemson fans they are Clemson fans we can build cases we can build arguments we can quote statistics to carolina fans but and you know what they don't hear them you know why because they're building their own cases and they're building their own statistics and they're building their own cases and I've never seen, never in my life have I ever seen a Carolina fan get screamed at and shamed so much that they eventually go, all right, all right, I'm a tiger. I've never seen a Clemson fan get screamed at. In fact, it, you can you can accuse, you can be like, hey, listen, I know you're a Clemson fan, but um, Dabo smokes crack. And every Clemson fan will be like, then we need to get some crack because if Dabo smokes, it is, I mean, we will make excuses, it doesn't matter. Nobody has ever shouted, screamed, or shamed anyone into changing sides. Now, here's the deal. We know that when it comes to politics and we know that when it comes to football, but for some reason, we don't know that when it comes to morality and Christianity. Point in case, maybe you're a Christian and you have a friend that's a non-Christian or you're a Christian and you have a friend that they're a Christian, but they've um, kind of gone down a path and maybe have made some unwise choices or, or are making unwise choices. And we think it's our goal to change them. So we build our cases, we shout, we scream, we even shame because, we, because listen, we want them to change. But if you don't get anything I say out of the message today, get this. No one has ever been changed by shouting or shame. No one has ever been changed by shouting or shame. And and where I saw this for the first time just last week is in the Christmas story. Because Because here's the deal. Christmas is about peace on earth. But too many people that follow Christ with really good intentions step into somebody else's life and we don't bring peace. We bring war. And we've got a couple verses to back it up or whatever. but, But at the end of the day, we don't change people by shouting or shame. Let's go back to the Christmas story, and let's go back to a passage of Scripture that we looked at last week. And we're not going to look at the whole passage, but we're going to look at the beginning of the passage. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. Here we go. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And and then the angel goes on to tell Mary, you're going to give birth to the Messiah. Now, a couple really softball, easy questions here. Was this a significant spiritual event in Mary's life? Yes or no? Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Would would we call this... um, A spiritual high, a spiritual mountaintop experience for Mary. Yes or no? Yeah, absolutely. Because because here's why. Here's why. Number one, I've never seen an angel like an angel. Actually. I'll tell you that story another time. That's not, but I've never seen like, so, so Gabriel's never shown up, okay? Gabriel has never shown up and told me something incredible. I, if it happened, it would be really cool. I'd try to get it on video so I could show you, but, but that's never happened. Second of all, one of the things we got to take under consideration is God hadn't spoken at this point in history for about 400 years. For 400 years, there had been no pro, uh, prophetic words. After the book of Malachi, it just seems like God went silent for 400 years. And all of a sudden, God God speaks and shows up and tells Mary, you're going to give birth to the Savior of the world. And this is a significant moment in Mary's life. It was her unique experience. Nobody experienced this but Mary. She's the only one that had this experience. Now, stop for a minute and ask yourself this question. Who would be one of the people that you would think that Mary would be most excited about sharing this information with? Joseph, right? I'm engaged to Joseph, I'm gonna have a baby. He, This is incredible, this is amazing. I'm going to need to go and tell Joseph. But as we said last week, Joseph didn't buy it. And, and let's be honest, neither would you, neither would I. If your teenage daughter came home and said, I'm pregnant, but God's the father. We'd be like, okay, you're getting drug tested and there's all kinds of issues with that, right? And we know Joseph didn't buy it because of what Matthew tells us. Luke and Matthew give us snapshots of the Christmas story from a little bit of a different vantage point. And Matthew says this about the Christmas story. Matthew said this, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit, which is that whole thing we talked about that Luke kind of tells us the whole story. Matthew just kind of sums it up with a sentence. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So this is all I'm trying to say. Did Joseph buy the whole, I saw an angel, I'm giving birth to the Messiah story? Yes or no? No. Now, I'm just guessing at this point, but I believe I'm right. Do you think Mary tried to convince him that what she experienced was real? Do you think she tried to convince him? Yes or no? Absolutely, she did. Do you think that she maybe tried to talk to him about it more than once? The answer will be yes, she probably went to him over and over. But at the end of the day, Mary was not the one responsible for changing Joseph. In fact, something this big and something this unbelievable, there's no way, there's nothing Mary could have done to have changed Joseph Joseph's mind, which brings us to three big overarching ideas that I find in the Christmas story. Here we go. Number one, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Number one, I can't change anyone. I can't change anyone. Write that down about yourself. I can influence you. I can inspire you. I can inform you. I cannot change you. In fact, if I try too hard to change you, not only will I not change you, I will isolate you. I saw this happen. I I went to lunch with a, a group of people, actually there's two groups of people. There's like this group of people and this group of people, we're all sitting at a table and the only common denominator was me. Like this group of people knew me, this group of people knew me. They didn't know each other. And so one of the things I try to do is I try to get people talking because I don't like to manage conversations. So I just try to get these people talking to these people and these people talking to these people. And so um, I got the guy at the end of the table talking to two girls and, and, and the guy said something and he he was really calm. He was really quiet, super nice, super just relaxed. And he was asking one of the girls about something they had read. And one of the girls said, oh my gosh, I read this thing, by Oprah Winfrey or whatever. And when, when, when she mentioned the word Oprah, when she just said Oprah, that's all she said was Oprah. This dude went psycho Billy Ninja, lost his mind, his face turned red. He... And he said, oh, you like Oprah. And the two girls, the two girls on the other end of the table, you could describe them as um, sassy. Would that be a good word, Ed, to describe the girls that we're talking about? Sassy, a little bit, yeah, a little sassy, sassy in a good way. You like Oprah? And they were like, yeah, yeah, we love Oprah. And he was like, but she's not a Christian. And they're like, how do you know she's not a Christian? Well, he's, and, and then all of a sudden, I didn't say a word. I, I'm just sitting there eating my food, watching this take place. He took about 10 minutes to build an incredible case about why Oprah was actually the Antichrist. By the way, I don't believe that. I love Oprah. I think she's great. I would love to have a meal with Oprah. In fact, I would love to have a meal with Oprah more than most people that consider themselves to be silent Christian. I mean, I love her. I don't know if she's a Christian or not. Never met her, but you know what? She's nice. Hello. Anyway, so he builds this incredible case about why he believes that Oprah is pretty much the Antichrist. What I saw him do was not change these girls, but push them away. And from that point he lost every ounce of possible future influence he could have had because he was more interested in making a point than he was making a difference. He could not change. I can't change anyone. Now there's two reasons primarily that we want to change someone else. Okay. And if you, if you're taking notes, the first reason is love. I love this person. I love, you've got a friend, you've got a family member, you've got a spouse, you've got a, you've got a child, you've got a parent, you've got a sibling, and they're going down the wrong road. And you love them so much that you don't want to see them make destructive decisions. I get that. You, you, you love them so much. But what winds up happening is we love this person, and then in Christianity, let me tell you the phrase, that I used to believe, but I don't believe it anymore. And I'll tell you, and I'll explain why. This is what we say. Well, you know what? They're going down the bad road. They're making bad decisions. So I'm going to love the sinner, hate the sin. Now, this is what many of us say that we do. We're going to love the sinner, hate the sin. But let me tell you what winds up happening. And it doesn't happen immediately sometimes. It just happens over time eventually, because the focus in this sentence right here is sinner and sin. And we begin to focus on the sin so much that inevitably we'll wind up hating the sinner as well. You say, well, Perry, what, what should we do? Love the sinner, hate the sin. That works. No, no, no. I think I found something better. Why don't we just love the person? Why don't we just love the person? And this is where people go to extremes. Okay. My son's smoking weed. And so you're telling me that I got to go buy my son weed. Okay. Stop. Don't buy your son weed. All right, that, that's just, no, I didn't say that. Don't always go to the extremes, but this is what Jesus modeled for us. Love people. Jesus didn't walk up to Matthew and say, Matthew, I'm going to love the sin and hate the sinner. So Matthew stop collecting taxes and you can follow me. Jesus just said, no, Matthew, follow me. And eventually Matthew became changed into the person. Jesus didn't try to change Matthew on the spot. He just says, Matthew, I want you to follow me. So the whole, we we can love people, but when we try to control and manipulate them, it's no longer love. It's no longer love. The second reason we try to change people, letter B, is control. Now, how many of you love for somebody else to control you. Not very many. Right? Like for for example, for example, I, I'm just gonna let you know I'm driving today on the road. You know why I'm gonna drive? Because people on TV are telling me to stay off the road. That's the only reason I'm gonna drive. That's the only reason I'm gonna do it. I I don't like being told where to sit. I don't like being told where to park. I don't like being you, know, you can't have I, I don't like that. Most most of us if we're honest we don't like somebody trying to control us. So think about this. If you're trying to control somebody in the name of Jesus, what does that make them feel about Jesus? And this is what some people go, well, some people need to be controlled. Okay, control your two-year-old, all right? They don't, you don't need to let them run around the restaurant naked. It's not a great idea, control the two-year-old. But at the end of the day, when we try to control people, it always backfires, and here's why. I can't change anyone. You can't change anyone. Period. Which leads to the second point. Second point is this. Second point is this. Changing people is not my responsibility. This right here absolutely set me free when I discovered it. That changing people is not my responsibility. Influence, inspire, inform sure, but not not changing. I'll ask this question. I don't know who your favorite superhero was when you were growing up. Um, my My first one was Batman. I used to watch Batman and Robin um, and on TV, and it never freaked me out that they wore tights, but but because that would just be anyway, so I used to watch Batman and Robin, but then it became Superman. Um, and then in recent days, I'm a big Iron Man fan. I like I like all the Iron Man movies and and stuff, but but we all have superheroes. But my favorite superhero of all time used to be me. Because I felt like I could change people. I could step into somebody's life and say, The reason your life's falling apart is because you're listening to that kind of music and you're watching those TV shows and you're going to those places and you're doing those things. So if you would stop this, this, and this, then da 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 da. And you know what? I, every once in a while, people would take my advice but then they would go right back. In fact, they would, if they were like a level six, they would go to like the level 20. I mean, it was amazing when they went back, they went back, I mean, they did it right. And then the other part I used to think was, you know, if somebody had a problem, all they had to do was come to me. We could sit down, I could give you a Bible verse or two, um, a scriptural saying or a scriptural inspiration tell you to start like volunteering or get more involved or just read your Bible more or pray more. And then eventually you would change. And if you didn't change, then I blamed it on you for doing it wrong for not having enough faith because I was the superhero. But then as I began to look over the, the, the failures that I had in changing people, I began to understand I'm not changing these people. They're not, I felt like such a failure because I could not change people. But at the end of the day, our responsibility as followers of Christ is not to change people. And the harder we try, the further we push them away. Our responsibility as followers of Christ is to love people and let God change them in his time. Which leads us to the third point. The third point is this. Only Jesus can bring about change that matters. Only Jesus can bring about change that matters. Change, if somebody's going to change, listen, I want you to listen to me. I want you to listen good. And this comes from ministry experience and personal experience. The change has to be personal before it's going to be real. Like some people are like, hey, would would you quit doing this for me? The answer is no, you don't want them to quit for you because if they quit for you, eventually they'll go back to it. It's got to be personal. For example, for, for years, this was my motto. I work out so I can eat anything I want. That worked in my twenties, worked pretty well. In My thirties worked pretty well. In my, in my forties, my metabolism said, you know what? I'm done. And it just shut down and I did not win the genetic lottery either. Okay. Both sides of my family. Um, have had every, like when I go to the doctor and they say, has any of your family had any of this? I'm like, just stamp. Yes to all we've all, we've had all that. I'm a walking genetic time bomb. I understand. Okay. So, so I didn't went. So, so when I turned 40, like I really started wrestling. Now I talked to a personal trainer. I hired a personal trainer one time. He sat me down in his office, and nobody will forget this conversation. He looked at me and he said, "Listen, I'm just going to tell you this. We're going to go out here. We're going to work really hard." He handed me a piece of paper. He said, "This is my eating plan. This is 85 percent of how you're going to look. 85 percent of it's nutrition. 15 percent is exercise." I thanked him. Went out, worked out hard. On my way out, I threw the eating plan in the trash can because I didn't believe it. I talked to two different medical professionals who told me that nutrition is the most important part of working out. Whatever, didn't believe them. I talked to a nutrit to several nutritionists who said nutrition is the most important part. I'm like, "Nah, I'm not going to believe you." I talked to people in the bodybuilding industry who said nutrition is the most important part. I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah I don't believe you." But about 15 or 16 months ago, I thought, eh, "What I'm doing is not working." And so I said, "I'm I'm going to give this nutrition thing. A tr- listen, it was my choice. It wasn't somebody else's choice. Nobody made me do it. Nobody paid me to do it. I'll pay you if you quit. All right, listen, they're gonna, they're gonna do it and lie to you and get your money anyway. Right? So finally, I said, you know what? I'm going to get serious about my nutrition. This is the decision that I need to make. I made the decision. You know what? I lost like 40 pounds. I'm down five inches in the waist. I have abs for the first time in my life. You want to see? I'm not going to show them to you. Anyway, people just logged off right there. Don't worry. No ab shots at second chance today. But it was a change that I decided for 25 years, people have been telling me, you need to make this change. But it wasn't until I made the decision that I wanted to change that I made the change. Until the change is personal, that person will not change. And when it comes to Christianity and our walk with Jesus, we can inspire them. We can inform them. We can influence them. We cannot change them. If Mary, the mother of Jesus, could not change Joseph, you cannot change your friend. You can be their friend. You cannot change them. Oh, and by the way, by the way, by the way, if you stop being their friend because you can't change them, you were never their friend to begin with. Let me say that again. If you stop being their friend because you can't change them, then you were never their friend to begin with because you were, you, in your mind, you were in love with a version of them that did not exist. And at the end of the day, that's actually called a hypocrite, not a friend. It, uh, Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times. Mary eventually gave up on trying to change Joseph. And guess what happened when Mary stopped trying to change him? God changed him. The Bible, Matthew goes on to record this. But after he had considered this, divorcing her, kind of putting her aside, you know, whatever, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Stop, stop. The, the angel appeared to Mary like in a vision, but appeared to Joseph in a dream. Let me, let me just say this. We've got to stop expecting people to have the same spiritual experiences that we have. God works in different ways to communicate to different people. And he'll communicate to them in a way they can best understand. If Joseph would have seen Gabriel, he might have like ished his pants and just ran forever. All right. So he has to, let's make sure he's asleep. Okay. He's in REM. Good. Go get him. All right. So Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. I know she's been talking to you. I know it's a little weird, but Joseph, you don't have to freak out. Watch this. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Well, Mary had been trying to tell him that. He didn't believe Mary, but you believe the angel in the dream. At, at least I would. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. By the way, that's the same thing that, they told, that the angel told Mary, told Joseph. So what we're trying to communicate to somebody and they can't hear, God can get to them just like that. Sometimes, sometimes the reason God won't change people is we won't get out of the way. And if he does get to them, he won't get to them through us. He'll have to go around us. Just a thought. And you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from the sins. All this took place um, to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. and They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Notice what the verse does not say. The the Bible does not say when Joseph woke up, he did what Mary had commanded him. Mary told him most likely more than once, but he didn't buy it. You know why? Mary couldn't change him, but God did in his time and in his ways. If you want to be a great friend to somebody, love them and pray that God will get their attention. And then when he does, be there for them. Obviously, obviously, Mary was there for Joseph. I can't imagine how that conversation went. But Joseph came back to Mary and said, all right, I believe. And Mary didn't say, no, no, you had your chance. I tried to tell you about Gabriel and the whole vision. No, 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 you just go, go on, go on. You don't believe in angels. No, 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 no. Mary obviously was willing to let, she never gave up on Joseph and it took a work of God to get Joseph not to give up on her. But at the end of the day, God did what he needed to do in his time to change both people so they would come together and eventually, we get the Christmas story, because Mary didn't try to change Joseph; she let God change him. That's why the scripture said. One of my favorite passages of scripture is Ecclesiastes three eleven that says, "He has made everything beautiful in its time, not our time, but His time." I was um, I asked the permission of a friend to share this story, and I won't share names, but I did ask permission to share the story. I've got a really good friend. Um, Her and her husband are just, they're just great people. And uh, her, her father is an alcoholic. And when I say alcoholic, I'm not talking about like he has a drink on the weekends. I'm talking about um, lost job, DUI, hammered um, just about every day. And uh, she obviously doesn't want to watch her father drink himself to death. That's just, and she doesn't want to see that. And so a, couple, a few years ago, several years ago, she got, um, she got in this like hyper-Christian phrase where she would like ignore him or not pay attention to him. Or when she did, it would be like a, a Bible grenade or a Bible bomb because she thought that would change him. And, and she began to notice, and this was her words, not mine. She began to notice that she wasn't changing him. She was actually pushing him away. And so... Um, and I won't go into the whole story, but it was pretty powerful just this week where she was sharing. Um, she, wrote it, she wrote him a letter and just said, I just want you to know I love you. I've, I, I forgive you for everything in the past. I hope you'll forgive me. And I just want us to have a great relationship. And on that day, they, they kind of hung out a little bit together. And since then, she's never, ever, ever confronted him about his alcoholism. Now, this is the part where I would love to tell you, and she led him to Christ, and now he is the president of AA, and that, that, listen, he's still an alcoholic. But I'm watching her love him through the process. Because guess what? Guess what? Ask yourself this question. I know what some of you are saying. How can, She's enabling him. So she's not enabling him. She's she can't, she's not even old enough to buy alcohol, so she can't even buy anything for him. She's not enabling him because, ask yourself this question. Ask yourself this question. When God does a work in his life, who's he going to go to? The people that have screamed at him and tried to shame him for years? Or is he going to go to the daughter who never gave up on him? You answer that question. Answer it honestly. You can't change people. I can't change people. Jesus can change people. We can love them and then when Jesus changes them, be there with them to help them take their next step. At the end of the day, that's what God's called us to be. That's how we change the world. Not by shaming them but by loving them, letting Jesus work in them, and then being there for them. That's my hope and my prayer this Christmas. As we step into some weird family situations or weird friendship situations, stop trying to change people. Ask Jesus to change them and love them through the process. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much today that you love us period. You don't love us because we're good, because we read our Bible a certain number of minutes every day or pray. Jesus, you just love us. Jesus, I'm so thankful that you bring about meaningful change in your time, not ours. Father, I pray for those of us who have family members or friends and We've been trying to change them for years that today, Jesus, we will understand it's not our responsibility to change them. It's our responsibility to love them and let you change them and be there for them in the process. Jesus, I pray that you would just help heal so many relationships that have been isolated because we have tried to change people. And Jesus, I want to pray for the the people today watching that you've been trying to change, that you've been speaking to, that over the past week or month or maybe even year, you've been getting their attention and letting them know it's time for you to stop running from me and turn your life over to me. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, maybe Jesus has been trying to say, I want you to give me your life. You, you, I want you to become a Christian. If you're here and you're watching and you, you know that today's the day you need to give your life to Jesus, but that, that starts the change process. You know you need to give your life to Jesus, give your life to Christ, become a Christian. Then, and whether you're watching online or you're sitting at LifeSpring in, Spring, in Sweetwater, I just want you right where you sit just to pray and invite Jesus in. Just say in your heart, just say, Jesus Christ, Right now, I ask you to come into my life and be my savior. Change me from the inside out and show me how to live for you the rest of my life the best I know how. I surrender everything to you. In Jesus' name I pray. My head's still bowed and eyes still closed. If you're at LifeSpring and you just prayed that prayer, would you put your hand up just so we can celebrate with you there at LifeSpring? You just put your hand in the air just for a second. Just, just put it up real high. And if you're online, if you'll do the hand-raise emoji on the Second Chance website, if you'll just hit that hand-raise emoji because we want to celebrate with you. Or if you're on Facebook, if you'll do the hand-raise emoji, we want to be able to celebrate with you that you prayed today and received Christ and do whatever we can to help you take your next steps. Father, thank you so much for the change that you bring about. We love you, we ask this in your name, amen. Hey, before I close the message, let me just say this. Real change, the change that we really wanna see, it's not external, it's internal. Only Jesus can bring that about. Um, Once again, for those of you, this is just a reminder for some, and it's new news for others. Sunday, January 13th, 2019 is when we're going to open our physical location. We have two services at 9.15 and 11.15. One of these days, we will have a fully functioning children's ministry, but we are going to have a nursery um, on these days only. That's... uh, Babies zero, which baby zero has always confused me, but baby baby zero through two years old. um, Other children, you're welcome to come into the sanctuary. um, Two services on that day. And for those of you, let, let me just say this. For those of you that have been praying for us, thank you so much. For those of you that have been giving, like you've been giving either online or mailing in a check, thank you because you have been faithfully giving. We've been able to do all of this debt free and that first Sunday, worshiping, especially as a senior pastor, debt free, it'll be pretty awesome. Um, and so for those of you that want to give, if you haven't, been yet, I'm telling you December is just a really, really, really great month to start the giving process. I mean that's what Christmas is all about anyway. And so I hope and pray that you'll consider giving to second chance during the month of December, you can give a couple ways. You can go to our website at mysecondchancechurch.com, and there's a giving uh, button up in the right-hand corner, a giving link, and you can click on that. It's super easy. That's how I give every month. And then, or you can mail a check to Second Chance Church, 210 South Main Street, Anderson, South Carolina, 29624. And listen, it keep, keep on praying for us. And for those of you that have been financially supporting it, supporting us, Keep it up because we're, we're getting closer and closer. What are we, five weeks away from January 13th? Five weeks from today, we'll be in that facility. Super excited about it. I hope you have a great week. I hope you have survived the snowstorm. We believe the best is yet to come.